Welcome to Open to Explore, the FBC Athens podcast featuring conversations exploring the intersection of faith and life. This episode features the fourth sermon in our Let's Talk 2020 series. Emily Harbin, Minister of Students and Young Adults at First Baptist Athens, draws from the work of Pauline Boss concerning ambiguous loss, acknowledging the impact of losses which are undefined and unfinished. In my years as a student at UGA, between all of those late nights of rich Bible study, I found myself immersed in my classes in human development and family science. After changing majors three times, I finally, for the first time, found myself reading my textbooks cover to cover. My time in Dawson Hall was a balm of sorts. Perhaps my fascination with the inner workings of family systems is why I so love this story in Genesis. The story of Jacob, Joseph, and their messed up, complicated family is one of my favorites. It's a detailed story of family growth, struggle, and reconciliation. We drop into the text at the beginning of Joseph's Odyssey. But instead of diving into his adventure, I want us to walk through this part of the text with his father, Jacob. So let me briefly set the stage. Unlike other stories in scripture, we have in Genesis the full character development of Jacob from birth to death and all of life in between. Now remember, this is the same Jacob who stole his brother's birthright. Now he's all grown up, he's born of four different mothers. I told you it's complicated. (laughs) But Jacob dearly loves his son Joseph. Joseph is the first son born of Rachel, who was his favorite wife. It's obvious that he favors him, and all the other brothers are jealous. We can't really blame them. This is the messy family framework we have here in chapter 37. Well, one day Jacob sends Joseph out to check on those jealous brothers out in the field, and when they see him coming their way, and they realize he's alone this time, they plot to get rid of him. They grab him, take his ornate robe, and trap him in a cistern. The original plan was to kill him, but that doesn't sit well with Brother Reuben and then later Judah. But instead of killing Joseph, they end up selling him to some travelers who are passing by on their way to Egypt. Now he's gone out of sight, out of mind, but they have to figure out what to tell Dad. So they kill a goat, smear its blood across Jacob, Joseph's beautiful ornate robe and they return home with it they hand that ruined robe to their father and they really don't give an explanation and Jacob cries out this is Joseph's robe some ferocious animal has devoured him all his sons and daughters try their best to console him but nothing 
And so begins Jacob's journey of grief as he sits holding not the body of his beloved son, but instead he's just sitting there holding the cloak that he'd given him. This is a powerful image of grief as he's literally cloaked in it. A cloud of doubt always looming overhead, a fog of suspicion, the lingering regret at having sent Joseph out there that day. With no body, there's no real proof that he's dead. With no body, there's no way to know the details of what happened. There is no CSI, no blood spatter test or DNA sample to find the certainty he needs. After the Vietnam War, sons and fathers, brothers and uncles did not return home. There was little to no information for their families about their whereabouts, no bodily remains for burial, no hard physical evidence of death, For these families, the lack of proof, the not knowing, can gnaw at you and be agonizing. Jacob's experience and the experience of these military families are both instances of what Dr. Pauline Boss from the University of Minnesota has termed ambiguous loss. Ambiguous losses are non-traditional. They're the kind of losses that we don't have culturally defined ritual around. The kind of losses that don't have a clear end. When there's a death, we have a funeral. The community joins together around a family and we mark that loss that has occurred. But what do you do when you experience the loss of a friend or family member, when you have a family trauma And there are no physical remains, no way to mark what happened. Years after the trauma of losing Joseph, famine breaks out across the land. And Jacob learns that Egypt is the only place that has grain stored up. He calls all those sons together and tells them to go travel to Egypt to get some and bring it home. But the text makes it very, very clear that He won't let Benjamin, Rachel's other son, go. As the story unfolds, this happens again. The brothers need to go back for more grain, and Jacob is distraught to find out that the right-hand man of Pharaoh has asked for Benjamin specifically. Why is Jacob so upset? Because he remembers what happened the last time he sent one of Rachel's sons off with the brothers. In his concern for Benjamin, we have a window into Jacob's ongoing experience of grief. And this is the relatable reality here in this text. You don't just get over losing someone. Grief doesn't go away just learn new ways to manage it, to cope with it, and eventually incorporate it into your way of life. But every now and then, family trauma, a loss, has a way of creeping back up into our lives, and 
sneaking up on us. Looking at this story through the lens of ambiguous loss may be new for some of us, so it might be helpful if I provide a few more examples of what we're talking about. You might be surprised how common it actually is. When a family member suffers from addiction, that family member may be physically present at family gatherings, at Christmas and birthday celebrations, but oftentimes they're emotionally and psychologically absent. This is an ambiguous loss. Caregivers of parents or spouses who suffer with the disease of Alzheimer's or dementia know ambiguous loss. While that parent or spouse may be physically present, they're cognitively absent. They've lost the person they once knew as mother, father, husband, or wife, but that person is still in the room. Infertility, divorce, adoption, even empty nesting, all of these life experiences are marred with uncertainty. And within each of these losses, people struggle with a balance of presence and absence. We struggle because it's difficult to determine, are they gone or are they with us? As I mentioned at the beginning, I studied family sciences here at UGA. And it was in one of those classes in 2013 when I was first introduced to Dr. Boss's work with ambiguous loss and military families. For the first time since my dad left five years prior, I was finally able to name what I was experiencing. He moved out when I was 16. He didn't die, he was just gone. For a long time, we thought maybe he'll change and come back. It was a loss as real and painful as death there was no funeral to be had, no way to really move forward. So sitting in class, hearing that there was a term for what I was experiencing, knowing that my loss had a name, it gave me something to hold on to. It gave me the handlebars I needed to steer ahead in life. This year, the coronavirus has exacerbated we feel. Millions of loved ones have died in hospitals alone and separated from families. The community has not been able to join together to do funerals in the traditional way. Workers have lost jobs with no clear path forward. Students finish degrees without ever marking the milestone by crossing that stage. Families haven't been able to visit for months, we were stuck in this holding pattern, just waiting, waiting for things to get back to normal, but unable to move forward because we didn't know when that would be. Ambiguous loss is rampant. When I learned that this would be one of the topics, I ordered her book in August, but it was back ordered for months. 
everyone wants to know. How do we grieve an unfinished crisis? And with this pressing question in mind, we turn to our second lesson in scripture that I shared with you from the book of Acts. Hang with me because I think this story gives us the handlebars that we need to steer ahead. The ascension of Jesus is a weird story We Protestants love our Easter and Pentecost, but Ascension, eh, we don't really know what to do with it. Forty days after the resurrection, Jesus has finished his teaching, and he's prepared to ascend to be exalted to the right hand of God. Of course, as he prepares to leave, the disciples have another question. I probably would. So... Jesus, is this the time when you'll restore the kingdom? And of course, Jesus responds with a loose, kind of dodgy answer. My friends, it's not, the, it's not for you to know the time that God has prepared. He reminds them that they will be empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they will be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And then as they watch... He is lifted up, and a cloud takes him away out of their sight. Suddenly, two men in white robes appear and say, Why do y'all stand looking up at heaven? Jesus is gone. But don't worry. He's coming back. Now, because this story is kind of odd, we typically glaze over it. And I think sometimes we imagine this as Jesus getting his angel wings gently floating away while the disciples skip back down the hill singing a merry tune. But if we give this text a fair reading, it screams ambiguous loss. He's gone, but he'll be back. He is physically present yet promise, or excuse me, he's physically absent, yet he promises presence. We don't know if he's coming back tomorrow, next week, or maybe in 10 years. He was right there with his friends, and now he's not. No wonder they stood there staring at the sky. They're frozen in grief. This is a crisis. In my preparation for this sermon, I came across a little powerful nugget that I want to share with y'all. The meaning of crisis in the Greek language is turning point. And what a turning point it was for those apostles. As families often do in the wake of a crisis, the first action that the families of faith, the disciples take, is to reorganize. Each family member, when a loss has occurred, has to redefine their role within that family system. And we see the disciples doing this immediately. They group together in an upper room, and they have to decide who will replace Judas. They have to know who's in this family and not. They had to regroup and redefine clear boundaries. And this reordering of the family system, this reset is a healthy acknowledgement of the loss and a step forward. It's an embrace of the ambiguity of that moment. In 1959, 
Dr. George Buttrick delivered a sermon at the Harvard University Memorial Church entitled, Has Christ Left Us?, in which he wrestles with this very topic of the ambiguous earthly departure of Christ. In the sermon, he said, Christ went from sight that we might grow in strength. If Christ lived on our street and we always asked him what to do and we always did as he commanded, we might end our lives as echoes rather than as persons. You see, the event of Christ's departure empowered the apostles to struggle and dream and question and find resolve for themselves. The promise of his return placed in their hearts a necessary sense of urgency, an urgency that is a requirement of the gospel. As Christians, we have a unique orientation toward ambiguous loss. Christian church was born into this moment of crisis, an open-ended turning point. When we talk about the presence of the Holy Spirit as our guide and we anticipate Christ's return, when the church stands and proclaims, Christ is risen, Christ will come again, we are speaking the language of ambiguity. We're embracing both and thinking. We are actively working out our faith in the arena of absence and presence. This is the language of our faith. It's in our bones, in our DNA as Christians. How do we grieve an unfinished crisis? Look around. We're already doing it. We've been doing it for centuries. We're navigating this turning point in our time by practicing resilience, by regrouping, by restructuring our lives in new and creative ways that incorporate our grief. Look around. Like Jacob, we're carrying our own cloaks of grief. This time the cloak of grief looks like masks on our faces. And at the same time, we're sitting together proclaiming the risen Christ together. We embrace the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit as we forge ahead and as we cling to the hope of Christ's return. So look around and let's talk. Amen. Thank you for listening to Open to Explore, the FBC Athens podcast featuring conversations at the intersection of faith and life. Coming in December is a daily podcast featuring devotions for Advent.